Welcome to Yoga for the Revolution, a show about self-care in the age of resistance. The intention of this show is to take all our contemporary anxieties, recognize them, and apply some ancient science and wisdom using the tools of yoga to help us survive all this mishigas. I wanted today to juxtapose a couple of things, talk about what comes out of it, and maybe even how struggle leads to creativity and ambition. Not a new idea, but one I'm revisiting here in a couple of different ways. This week really kicked my ass, news of the world-wise. I really, for a while, had no idea what to talk to you about because I felt like I had nothing to offer. The healthcare bill is so, so blatantly not about care. I mean, we elected government to act on our behalf, to watch out for us as a nation and as individuals, and right now that's just not happening. People in wheelchairs are being arrested for protesting. It's some like weird moneyball Lord of the Flies situation up there, and it's incredibly, incredibly disheartening. And then you have someone like Bill Cosby, Cosby who I grew up listening to. I used to go to my friend's house. Um, we'd like lay on the floor on the carpet and we'd put on himself on the record player and just listen to it over and over again. This man who we found out has since done awful, awful things, and the arrogance he's displayed after the trial he said he's going on a lecture circuit with the specific purpose of telling others how to evade sexual assault charges and if there was any doubt any at all even after all of those women stood up to tell the truth if there was any doubt left in anyone's mind this arrogant myopic sociopathic publicity tour should push that doubt right over the cliff and we are now living in a world where we are saying out loud that poor people, differently abled people, people of color and women do not matter. That's what's being said and acted on. And that's where we live now. And no amount of freaking downward dog is going to change that. And that is how I feel sometimes. And that does not make for good content, ladies and gentlemen. It does not. Because you know this already and you don't need to hear me say it. I read an article this week in the Times called Prozac Nation is now the United States of Xanax. For those of you who don't know, Prozac Nation was an incredibly popular book. I'll let you Google it. This article is all about how anxiety, while a medical condition, is also a sociological condition, kind of a shared cultural experience that feeds off of headline news and social media. And I'm going to link to this in the show notes because it's worth a full read. And it has all sorts of interesting references and rabbit holes to go down we'll go down some of them together. One of the things this article pointed out is that this is very different than the slacker culture of Gen X, right? This is not Reality Bites where the main worries were selling out. I mean, that is a very different concept to try to explain to a generation who thrive on likes and views. One of the main themes of Reality Bites, and I'll link to the trailer in the show notes as well because it is important, one of the themes was that it was embarrassing to be successful, that you should hide the fact that you work at the Gap folding shirts. You should be ashamed that you date someone with a job. I mean, there is some real questioning of that at the time, but really at the end of the day, philosophy and rock bands and cheap beer were the winners. Ethan Hawke is cooler than Ben Stiller. That's just the way we grew up, kids. Because our anxiety was inward facing. Our anxiety was all about who are we and like who are we becoming and what all of that meant. 
And that was a luxury. We had time to think about that shit. Bill Clinton was president, but we didn't know about Monica yet. And even when we did, it would just solidify our feelings about distrust of the system and selling out. Big debates were whether Nirvana sold out. For the moment in time, that's what mattered. Now, I am going to stop to recognize some things here. I'm talking about Gen X in pop culture terms and really what that means, I think until maybe right now, is that whatever was written about in Time Magazine was really written about taking white suburban kids and turning that into like what was going on in the whole country. So for a time, what was written about in places like Time Magazine about what popular culture was and what a generation stood for, really they were just talking about a very exclusive kind of white suburban group of teenagers who are all having very similar experience. So I know that that's exclusionary. And at the same time, I need to speak from my experience. And I have been lucky enough or privileged enough to find myself in the center of what people consider average, even though that's a really limited view of the population of our country and their experiences, right? I mean, all the OJ stuff went down in 94. There were race riots in 92. Black churches are being burned by the dozens in 95. So saying that like the whole generation was on a positive upswing is shitty. I will say this, the bubble we talk about, the bubble that Zuckerberg forced us into on Facebook existed before the internet. White suburban kid on Long Island, I thought about what was going on in Seattle more than I thought about what was going on in LA or in the South. And in my mind, and in a lot of minds of this segment of the generation, the angst we felt was existential. We were moody, we were lost, we were all girl interrupted, and everyone reread the bell jar, and our angst had nowhere to go, no directive. And we were not girl bosses. We just weren't. That wasn't even a thing we thought about. I didn't think of my existence even as a woman. And I went to a liberal arts college and studied women's studies and read the yellow wallpaper. And as a side note, I did my undergrad thesis on Henry James and the evolution of his observer character, uh, more of a narrator character in his fiction. And you don't need to know what that means because it doesn't actually matter. But what I'm saying is the generational vibe was passivity. If we as a certain you know portion of that generation chose to try on a mental disorder, it was depression, not anxiety. And it isn't anymore. Again, caveat, I'm not saying mental illness and disorders are a choice. Please don't think I'm saying that. What I'm saying that large groups of people and individuals within that group can identify on some level with these disorders, even if they are not chemically imbalanced, diagnosed, or treated. I am trusting we are on the same page enough to move on with that assumption. If not, Drop me a line, leave me a comment, and we'll talk about it. The article in the Times, if I can get back to that, pits, for example, the Rubik's Cube against fidget spinners. And I'll quote this. The cube was fundamentally a cerebral, calm pursuit, perfect for the latchkey children of the 1980s to while away their lonely Xbox-free hours. The fidget spinner is nothing but nervous energy rendered in plastic and steel, a perfect metaphor for the overscheduled, overstimulated children of today as they search for a way to unplug between jujitsu lessons, clarinet practice, and advanced placement tutoring. That's what I'm talking about. Which is in part where girl bossing never even crossed my mind. Recently attended an event where uh, Mickey Agrawal and her life coach, her business coach, talked about being fearless leaders. 
I'll read you the description here as written. Awesomely unabashed, Mickey Agarwal, founder, chief inventor of Thinks, and author of Do Cool Shit, and Lauren Zander, author of Maybe It's You, Cut the Crap, Face Your Fears, Love Your Life, come together for a 90-minute live event about fantastically taboo subjects, transparency, truth-telling, and the tests that teach us. And to me, this is where the age of anxiety is creating massive change. I know, it's been a long walk, right? We're here. I'm going to try to tie this together. These women... These women are sitting in a sparse basement of Lululemon. Also, I know, you could tell in my tone of voice, right? The Winona Ryder in me just gagged talking about all of those vocabulary words used to describe those people. That said, it really was an interesting talk. And they were talking about how to be a leader, what it takes to lead. Mickey Agrawal has faced some real serious criticism recently and is currently also facing harassment charges. I'll let you Google that. And also, what the hell? like a whole other topic somehow. But I thought it was interesting that she chose this moment to take the reins and talk to female entrepreneurs about how to face the challenges of moving your passion project forward. Is this parallel to Cosby going on a publicity tour? I don't know. I don't feel like it is. But if that is problematic, which I feel like it might be, even as I'm just saying it, uh, I'm going to need to give it a little bit more thought. Going back to what they did actually talk about. They talked about having to be maniacal in your passion for a project. Maniacal. That word specifically was on a numbered list from one to seven of ingredients for how to cook up entrepreneurial success. Mania. So now we live in a world where mania is being described as a prerequisite for success, which I I honestly don't really like. But even then, success means something completely different also now than it used to. Because if we're living in the universe of Reality Bites, what the world defined as success was selling out to that group, right? It meant leaving behind your authentic self in order to achieve. Now, success is only success if it includes your authentic self. Right before mania on that list of ingredients was integrity. In order to be successful, you have to, quote, walk the walk and stay true to yourself. So that's interesting, right? That now what we're saying is success fueled by mania only counts if it's authentic. Interesting. There's an article in Man Repeller recently positing that if Sex in the City came out now, Miranda would be the central figure. Because even then, when that show first came out, Ambition was seen as something just like a little suspect. And I'll read you a quote from that article as well. Miranda never tries to cover up the dauntless core of her raw, unfiltered self. She is unapologetically blunt and tells the truth, a combination often misconstrued as cynical. By 2017 standards, Carrie Bradshaw is the equivalent of an overly edited Instagram. She's the idea of a person, a snapshot, a fragment. Miranda's authenticity is radical in comparison and far better suited to our present day hunger for realness. That's what brands and identities are built on nowadays. Parentheses glossier, thanks Jennifer Lawrence. In 2017, the raw unfiltered self reigns supreme. So how in the world does this all relate to anxiety and current culture? There's very little chance that a slacker is gonna change the world. Someone who eschews the system, who won't work within it or go up against it, makes no waves. They just sit on the couch, smoke weed, and play Xbox. Now that we've moved into an age of anxiety, 
are we as a popular culture then fueled by that anxiety? Are we taking the anxiety and turning it into the mania needed to push forward ideas, agendas, brands, products, personas, creative pursuits? When Trump was elected, a friend of mine tried to silver lining the situation by saying, like, well, this should make for some good music, you know, with the historical perspective of punk hardcore of the 90s and folk in the 60s. At the time, my reaction was, you know, screw you, we're all going to hell. And I, I do still think that. But what I'm starting to see more of is not just action, the opposite of Gen X slackdom, but earnest action, authentic identity plus action, and now creativity, which is pretty interesting. I've been made aware of a couple of new publications in just the last week or so aimed specifically at the creative class. One magazine called Anxi, I'm assuming it's just pronounced Anxi, it's A-N-X-Y, which is from a pack of editors from Medium, and matter, which is born out of the acknowledgement of disordered thinking and incredibly relevant in today's culture. Their about page talks about uh, angsty is for people who crave open discussions about coping with anxiety, depression, fear, anger, trauma, shame, and all those other wild cards that alter the direction of our work and our lives. And then another on the other end of the spectrum is called Nail, who describes their mission as their mission is to look at the lives of creatives in the world. We're interested in how talented, committed, empathetic people get through the day, how we survive, and more than that, thrive, looking beyond greater ambitions and desires. We're in a moment of incivility, visceral and psychic violence, information bombardment and fake news, and the post-truth culture of Donald Trump. The NAIL team firmly believes that addressing these issues will make the world a better place. Overtly political is the image on the splash page for NAIL. It has kind of a grotesque, oversaturated picture of the president with a bold neon headline reading, how do we survive this bully? So it's interesting then to juxtapose this with Trump himself. He is the band leader of anxiety. And in a quote from the Times article, controlled neurosis is the common characteristic of most highly successful entrepreneurs. According to The Art of the Deal, which is Trump's book. I don't say that this trait leads to a happier life or a better life, he adds, but it's great when it comes to getting what you want. There are a lot of things to be anxious about, and this dipshit is just one of them. But I guess I'm glad we're talking about it, that we've left slackerdom behind, that it isn't cool anymore to just like think everything is stupid and not do anything about it, that at least now we know about the bubble and to live inside it or to get outside it is a little bit more of a conscious choice that there are avenues and more and more people are shouting their authenticity from the rooftops. And while my Gen X-ish self finds this pretty annoying sometimes, I think we're on the right track. Thank you for listening to Yoga for the Revolution. This is my anxiety, my authentic barbaric yop into the digital wilderness. And I thank you for being a part of it. You can find all the episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and the site. And on that site, you can also click the contact link and write me a note. I've been more and more curious about who you guys are. I talk about like my generation and whatever. Is that you? Are you interested in that? Do you even know what I'm talking about half the time? What do you want more of? What do you want less of? Less pop culture, more science, less science, more yoga. Tell me. I'm I'm really interested because... As I'm venturing on and creating more and more episodes, you know, there's only so much random thought I am able to 
chat into a microphone while my dog snores. You know, I want to know what you guys want to know about. And then we can have those conversations. You can also reach out on Facebook at facebook.com slash yoga for the revolution and on Twitter at Y underscore F underscore T underscore R. Please rate and review the podcast. You can do that right in iTunes and tell a friend about it. This is episode 19. We're on 19, kids. And I have a special treat coming for you as we come to the end of what I'm calling season two of Yoga for the Revolution. If you've not listened to all the episodes, you may not know that often I do a guided meditation or some breath work at the end of each episode. And coming up, I'm aiming to publish all of the pranayama and all of the meditations I've led up until this point separated out from the discussion portion. So that you can just have those, like just the meditation, just the pranayama alone to listen to, have in your toolbox and use as needed. And then I'll also be taking a week off as I prepare some more content for you. So until next time, keep breathing and live to fight another day. Oh.